It is good to be with you this morning. Maybe that's a volume adjustment implied. Is it too loud? Okay, good. It's good to again be with you this morning and to, to consider the scriptures. Um, I see we have some visitors. Welcome. And um, welcome to Zhao Hui I had to practice that. Welcome. If you have trouble with Zhao Hui you can call her Professor Julia or just Julia. And uh, her, uh, from the School of uh, University and Management in Shandong Province, and we have uh, 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 Xiao Hong with us. And Xiao Hong keeps coming back to Halifax. Xiao Hong uh, uh, keeps coming back and keeps bringing people to our Bible study, and, uh, which is great. Uh, welcome again. Uh, you haven't been here before, I don't think, but. Um, uh, Xiao Hong's son goes to high school in, in Halifax, so she, uh, I think she's here checking on him amongst other things. And it's good to have uh, Xiao Hong with us. Xiao Hong is an economist and was picking my brain yesterday as to all the different aspects, it seems, that could possibly be in remote, any remote way connected with economics, but that's certainly not anything I know anything about, as my wife can attest to. Um, let us begin with a word of prayer this morning. <clears throat> our Father, we're thankful for our Savior, and we are reminded this morning of the power of His blood, the efficacy of the redemption that we enjoy, and that that blood has washed away our sins and made us clean and made us whiter than snow. We pray that if there are those here this morning who do not know what that means, that your Spirit would be at work that your word would do its own work to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Is my... There we are. As you know, in the past number of times we've been together, that I've been standing in this pulpit, I have talked about prophet, priest, and king, and I have also focused on Elijah and the transition to Elisha. And for some reason, I have... Was I became interested and I felt led to look at this aspect of anointing and the um, setting aside of men for the service of God, including our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I have entitled this Marked Men and Marked Man. The ultimate marked man was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But <clears throat> there have been others, and we read um, that this uh, selection, it is as though it is a selection, is uh, an anointing. And in 1 Kings 19, we read about that Elisha was to be anointed, and that would be with oil. And what does he ask for? We all, I think, know that when you think of anointing, you think of oil, and you also think of God's Spirit. They go together. The idea of uh, God's Spirit and an oil, these two things in the Bible go together. And the office of prophet under Elijah was handed off to, the, to Elisha, who would take over. And it's most interesting that when Elijah said to him in 2 Kings 2.9, what, what would you like? If you're still with me, I'll give you a request. Now, what is your request? He was, they were still together. He wouldn't leave him. 
He said, I would like a double portion of your spirit. What a request. What a request. You know, sometimes God has asked men things. He says to Solomon, you're now the king. What do you need? What do you want? Did he ask for temporal power, temporal money? He didn't ask for any of those. He asked for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. That's a, a godly man who is perceptive enough to realize where the real needs are. And where the real empowerment comes from in this case with Elijah, he asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, which of course was God's spirit enabling him. It wasn't a temporal kind of request. You know, Elijah did many impressive things. He called down fire from heaven. Did Elisha say, I want to bring down three times as much fire, three times as often. I want to do extremely impressive things. Didn't ask for that. Didn't ask for more impressive miracles that would be more impressive to the human eye. No. Elisha, I think, realized that what was driving Elijah, was empowering Elijah, was God's spirit. That's what it was all about. It wasn't about impressing anybody. Elisha dis distinguished and discerned that Elijah had a zealousness for God that was of God and for God and that it was completely genuine. You know, there's zealousness in their zealousness. Elijah was a man who cared nothing for what other people thought. He was going to be God's man. And Elisha looked at that life and followed that life and walked along with that man. And he said, that's what I want. I want to be a man who is guided and empowered by God. Do you think it takes courage to make such a request? You know, we have a saying, be careful what you ask for, right? We like to say that sometimes, be careful what you ask for. Asking for a double portion of the empowerment of God by His Spirit. Have you ever thought of making such a request? Isn't that a fearful thing to ask? I think that's a fearful thing to ask. This man is the new designate. The mantle of Elijah passed on to Elijah. What do you think would happen in your life if you actually opened up to God and said, I want more, God, of you, of you. What kind of power might you receive? What might God ask you to do, given that you have that kind of power? That's, an, that's a sobering thought. I think it takes a combination of faith and courage to have that kind of perspective. To realize that life is about, for the believer, for the believer, is about having power from God to get through things. To not only get through things, but to prosper in the Lord. Look, standing from the outside in, you wonder sometimes where the unbeliever stands and how he looks at things. Whether he says or she says, well, 
salvation, salvation, God, yes, okay, I can see perhaps that God is able to deal with the question of my salvation. He's God after all, and that's a spiritual question. I don't maybe understand everything about it. But when it comes to relinquishing my life and ordering my life and guiding my life, whoa, that's, that, I, that is very scary for me. Actually, it's the other way around. God has no trouble guiding and ordering your life. Your huge need, if you know not the Lord, is salvation. The blood that we've just been singing about, that is where the enormous power of God was exercised and can be applied to your heart and to your life. If you know not the Lord, that is your primary need. The logistics of your life are well within the abilities of God to guide and to, to, to direct. Interesting that Elijah then says to Elisha, your request is difficult. You've asked for a difficult thing, and I've thought about that and thought about that. Why did he say that? Here is a man who is his protege who's going to be taking over who's not concerned with doing that which is impressive. And as a footnote, Elisha does more miracles than any other prophet in the Old Testament. He wasn't concerned with doing miracles, and he ends up doing more than anybody else. But you have the response from the senior prophet saying, you've asked for a difficult thing. Ever, ever thought about that verse, thought about why that might be? Is it because, perhaps, humanness and the human will is not easy to push aside to that extent? The relinquishment of the human will and the human person to allow God to control and to guide and direct to that extent, perhaps, is not an easy thing. Do you know what you're asking for? We can know, too, that this is before the idea of being born again is ever mentioned. Of course, the John chapter 3 conversation with Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's John chapter 3. That's about 800 years, 900 years from this conversation between Elijah and Elisha. And, of course, it is through being born again that the Lord Jesus, in John 14, is able to say, I will send a comforter to you. I will send to you personally, to your hearts, to your being, to your person, the Holy Spirit. That is 900 years in the future. And it's an amazing revolutionary thing. And it is not here yet at this point in the Bible. So when Elisha says, I want a double portion of the spirit that's been guiding your life, Elijah says, that's difficult. Are you prepared for that? Do you know what you're asking for? But the request stands. And Elijah, Elisha receives much power and grace from God 
and he had a great ministry. I wonder whether if Elijah was sitting in this audience and he hears someone like me saying that, you know, Elijah, you had a great ministry. I wonder how he might react to such a thing. For prefer, oh, please don't mention my name from the pulpit. Please don't say things like that, that I had a great ministry. He never did this for the eyes of men. He did this before God. He did this by the power of God. He did this by God's Spirit. The older I get, and I look at the various things that men give their lives to and give their energies to and their concentrations to, the more I'm conscious of what is meaningful and what is not meaningful. You probably concur with me that there's an awful lot of stuff going on and there's an awful lot of energy expended on a whole lot of stuff that isn't very meaningful. It's just very, very temporary. Passing away. People get their hands on stuff and they get a little bit of human acknowledgement and a little bit of material things and a tremendous amount of energy going into these things. And you look at it and you go, just, is that what I want to do? How meaningful is that? Is it meaningful in God's eyes? Is it truly meaningful by spiritual measure? And you look around and you say, you know, it, it isn't. It isn't. So much energy for things that are so temporary and really not very meaningful. Why do people do that? Well, because they don't know the Lord. They don't have His Spirit. They don't have that different value system which comes with valuing what God values. Elijah and Elisha valued what God values. Therefore, what they did in their lives was very meaningful. Very meaningful. I remember very clearly, you know, when you talk about someone being used of God like Elisha and having a great ministry, I remember very clearly a young woman who um, is actually getting married this year that this assembly supports named Christiana Fox. She was sharing about her experiences in the, in the Sudan, in uh, southern Sudan, a new country. And it, it has stayed with me, what she shared with us, that God doesn't need us. God can accomplish what he wants to accomplish without us, if necessary. He always has a way to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And then she said, it is our privilege to be part of it. It is our privilege to be drawn in and to be used of God. It is meaningful. It gives great meaning to our lives. It gives great joy to our lives. I wonder if you, Christian, know what it means to be used of God. Do you know what it means to be used of God? I trust that you do. There is nothing like it. If you know what it means to be used of God, it sets everything else in kind of another relief, another realm, another 
aspect of being rather secondary, rather unimportant. All of the energies and, and strivings and efforts that men get into to accomplish what they accomplish, and we tend to get drawn into that, it all tends to fade, very much fade in importance. If you know what it's like to be used of God, there's nothing like that experience. That was my preface. I have uh, nine slides and three pages of notes. I want to um, just look at some anointing. Anointing as a thing in which um, to be associated with the, with the Spirit of God has various functions in the Bible. And uh, I want to consider Aaron and King David and the Lord Jesus in my limited time. What does this anointing, the symbol of giving God's spirit to someone, what does it do? One thing that I think that it does is that God, it is a matter of identification. God is saying this is the man. This is my man. This is my servant. It's a matter of identification. Secondly, I believe that this anointing, this holy anointing, means that God is saying to the person, I have a job for you to do. I have something specific for you to do. And thirdly, it is either a picture of, or literally, a moment of empowerment. And I say either a picture of or literally is because when we see it in the Bible, it is not necessarily so that the person who is anointed, who God marks, marks that man, is aware of any big change in his life all of a sudden. An example would be King David in 1 Samuel 16. So those three things. First of all, um, I'll read to you an excerpt from Exodus 30. This is sort of the ultimate background anointing under the dispensation of the law. Under the dispensation of the law, priests were named by name, appointed, and as part of their duties, they would be anointed. And it is most interesting that the blood of the sacrifice was actually, in a sense, mingled with the oil and applied to the person. So that is a picture of redemption, blood that we were thinking about, is necessary as part of this. You have to be redeemed. You have to be redeemed. And with the redemption, for the, especially in the dispensation of grace that we now live in, comes the Spirit to the believer, the new believer. That system, um, under the law, you know, we, sometimes there's this aspect of human nature that says, tell me what to do, just tell me the details, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. I wish the thing, you know, it's sort of a simplification of our spiritual lives. Well, when the Israelites agreed before Moses by Mount Sinai that they would do all these things, Little did they know what they were getting into. 
The system that they received was very detailed. One might even say that it was based on detail. And when you read chapters like Exodus 30, you find lots of detail. I'll, I'll start at verse 23. You have there 29. Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of cassia, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil and hin. And thou shalt make a holy ointment, an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary or perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all the vessels, and the candlestick, and his vessels, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all his vessels, and the laver, and his foot. Verse 29, and thou shalt sanctify them, that they may be most holy. Whatsoever toucheth them shall be holy, and thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may excuse me, minister unto me in the priest's office. You know, the, the elemental or underlying idea of holiness is set-apartness. These men were set apart for a purpose. They were anointed with this unique ointment. And I don't know, I, in, in this day and age, we are very sensitive to perfumes and to scents, and we, of course, broadly discourage the use of, of things like that um, because of people like me with asthma. But isn't it true that if you are going to, as you can imagine, apply this kind of perfume to yourself, do you think that with the regularity of the system, the sacrificial system, that was in place in Exodus, that we read about in the Torah, that that's going to come off, that's, that's, going, to, that's going to just uh, disappear from your body so easily. All of these powerful and special and unique perfumes that the priests would be applying and being around, I think the, I would suspect and theorize that that would stay with them. These are not easy things to wash off. A little later, I'll, I'll allude to the idea of the New Testament believer and Paul referring to the fragrance of the believer. So there is a set-asideness, a set-apartness, and a uniqueness when in the original idea of anointing, Men are anointed with holy oil in order to worship in the presence of God in a sacrificial system. The second one I'll share this morning is King David. And it probably was a month ago that one of the brothers stood up and read 1 Samuel 17 about David defeating Goliath. Shared that at the breaking of bread. And um, I guess my spiritual senses were not very attuned, but at the time I thought, I'm not quite sure how I can, in my mind, relate this to the Lord's Supper. But you know, over the past month, the more I thought about it, 
the more I got interested in it, and I found out something. David was anointed in the chapter before as a young man. That same brother shared this morning from Psalm 23 about, you have anointed me in the presence of my enemies, anointed me with oil in the presence of my enemies. This young man, David, who was soon to face Goliath, was first anointed. And then it says that the Spirit of God was with him powerfully from then on. Whether David knew it at that moment, it doesn't say. But isn't that appropriate? Isn't the Scripture telling us something when we, we see that when a daunting task comes before us, something that is outright scary, the thing that needs to happen before that is that we need God's Spirit. Elisha was facing a lifetime of ministry. What did he ask for? A double portion of the Spirit that drove Elijah. And David was anointed before he faced Goliath. I like the word daunting and the word undaunted. In life, I think we often face things that are daunting. That is, they are intimidating. And they, they, we haven't even attempted it yet and we're in intimidated. They're things that kind of shake us up. We are daunted. We find it daunting. How can I do this? Most people know what that feels like. So then the, the related word, how to be undaunted. You find yourself in a situation that is daunting? How to be undaunted? How to be unintimidated? How to have courage? Well, you could read about what re the result of that anointing was and the Spirit of God working in David in the next chapter, 1 Samuel 17. And that evil man was killed by that stone of that young man. And he had no armor on, but he had the Spirit of God. He had the power of God. And he was undaunted in an extremely daunting situation. But he had the Spirit of God. I think that's a wonderful message for us. Thirdly, well, I didn't even get to that scripture then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And David went on to win a great victory, which I think is a picture of the defeat and humiliation of Satan at the cross of Christ. My third um, personage this morning, of course, is the most important personage in the Bible, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.32. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descend, descending, and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bare record that this is the Son of God. Isn't that something? The incarnate Son of God 
had the Spirit of God descend upon him. See, the oil is only a symbol. The Spirit of God is the real thing. That is, the Spirit of God actually coming onto and into the Lord Jesus Christ, identifying him and marking him, making him a marked man. A writer named uh, James Large writes that, in all that pertains to the service of God, in the entire realm of that which we might call service unto God, that service can only be rendered and accomplished by one means. Universal, as he says, law. It can only be accomplished by the Spirit of God. Here we see the Lord Jesus Christ marked and the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove, indicating that he is a marked man, marked in fact for a life of testifying to the life of God, but also we know the reason that he came was to go to the cross. It is even, you might say, does it, is it even true of Jesus? We might say it is especially true of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians and in Romans, we read that the Lord Jesus is our federal head. As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. You need the Lord Jesus Christ to be your new federal head. He received that anointing, the special uh, coming down of the Spirit of God, marking him and filling him. How much did it fill him? John 3, 34. Without measure. The Spirit of God filled the Lord Jesus Christ in an unlimited manner. In an unlimited manner. manner. Without measure, the Scripture says. And what do we see of the life of the Lord Jesus? A life that, that speaks of God. It not only speaks of God by virtue of his acts and his miracles, but it speaks of God by virtue of his words and his truth and his teaching and his perception. No man spake like this man, as one said. His whole life is the fragrance, the presence of God. Jesus was twice anointed by women with actual oil. The second one, which is re recorded in, um, I believe, all of the Gospels, was in the house in Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, and it was Mary that did the anointing. I'll read from... Verse 6, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box, a very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And then we have verse 10, When Jesus understood it, he said to them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me, for ye always have the poor with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it 
for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman, Mary, hath done, be told for a memorial for her. And you can read the corresponding passage in John chapter 12. It's beautiful the way the Lord used that woman to make that statement. It's beautiful the way the Lord uses women throughout the scriptures. This was a marking with that oil unto his burial, a recognition of his imminent death. And it was a woman who did that, thus honoring the Lord and being honored herself in that act. It was Mary Magdalene who was the very first person to see that the Lord Jesus had risen from the dead. It's lovely the way the Lord in, in the Bible shows us to remember how honorable many women were in their role in God's kingdom. What about us? I'm pretty much out of time. What about us? You know, there's no more funny clothing with priests. There's no more complicated liturgy in churches. Those things have been done away. And Hebrew says that the other thing that's been done away is the impermanence of it. The impermanence of it has been done away with. That entire system of anointing and of liturgy and of trappings. Though men tend to like these things. It's all gone. What's left? Well, the fact of it, when we are saved, we are anointed. We receive the Holy Spirit. The need of it is still today, present today. We have a permanent high priest who is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And 1 Peter 2 tells us that he then makes us a kingdom of priests without all the trappings. And thirdly, hopefully, the character of it is still present. What about that character? What about our, our, our fragrance? What's your spiritual frag fragrance? A word that comes to mind is, is the word tone. What is your demeanor? What is the tone of your conversation? What is the tone of your household? What is the tone of your relationships? The, the expression that we like to use is that person is like a breath of fresh air. You know that one. Some people, you can't quite put your finger on it, but their demeanor and the light that they bring and the general conduct of their lives, it's refreshing. It's sweet. It's good. It's, it's, it's unique. It's like that unique perfume with that unique formula. Where have I smelled that before? It's, it's that guy again. It's, that, it's her again. It's, it's, it's not a physical smell. The person has the kind of character and the kind of demeanor and tone that reminds you of Christ, of the nature of Christ, the love of Christ, the person of Christ. What a thing to aspire to. Indeed, this is my last scripture. It says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, 
and maketh manifest the savor or fragrance of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? You probably look at your um, life and behavior over the past months and years perhaps and you can think of a thousand times when you were anything but the fragrance of Christ. You were anything but that breath of fresh air, that sweetness, that reminiscence of, of God, of God's character, of the gentleness and love of Christ. You can probably think of a thousand times when you did not characterize him by your, your personality, shall we say. Even Paul said it. He said, who is sufficient? Who is sufficient for these things? How can I get there? How can I, how can I reach to that? Through Christ. It is through Christ. So, this morning as we close, I hope that you will uh, examine your life. I hope that you will feed on the Bible. And I hope that you will have some courage and faith to ask God to give you more of himself. Because isn't that what we really need? That's what we need. We need spiritual power. We need more of him in our lives, within ourselves. Shall we pray? Our Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that you would enable us. We confess our insufficiency, our incompetence to be the fragrance of Christ. But we desire to be anointed. We desire more of your spirit. We know that you are there. We know that you are able. We pray that you would help us to have the faith and the courage to open our hearts, to open our lives, to allow you to empower us and to let us know what you would have us to do. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your attention.